be there with them, fully love them completely and allow for this merging to take place, which is quite a scary thing in the beginning. But that's what will really, really fulfill the deep needs that you have in your heart that makes you want to have sex in the first place. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. How are you doing, friends? Hope you're doing well. Hope you're keeping warm. If you are in North America, Europe, I know it's starting to get cold over there. And previous listeners to this show will recognize that the intro song has changed. And this is something I've been meaning to get to for a while. Don't get me wrong, I absolutely loved the song that I had before, a song called Comencemos, which I believe was written by one of my favorite musicians, a guy from Nigeria called Fela Kuti. But the performance uh, that I had in the podcast was by a band called Jungle Fire, who graciously allowed me to use their intro song, uh, to use that song, rather, on my previous podcast, Travels in Music, as well as this one, Humans in Love. I love that song. It was great for the podcast. But I thought that, you know, I I really want to make this podcast more and more mine. You know, I want to put more of myself out there. I want to be more honest with you, and I want to share more of myself. And so... You know, on a related note, I'm a musician, I'm a guitarist, and I had this funny little instrumental uh, tune that I wrote years ago, wasn't really doing anything with, and I thought, you know what, why not? Why don't I make that the theme song of this show? So I hope you're not too disappointed. I hope you think the song is okay. And it feels good to be kind of, you know, sharing more of myself and my interests, and uh, one of my great loves is music, and yeah, it's kind of fun to put my own composition at the beginning of this podcast. My guest today is a returning guest to the show, good friend of mine, and one of the most astute and eloquent and emotionally intelligent women uh, who I've ever met. Her name is Blandine Wegner. Blandine is a teacher at my yoga school here in Chiang Mai. She's also a counselor, and she has decades worth of experience in tantra and teaching yoga and counseling men and women on how to have greater more fulfilling relationships, and she's terrific. I mean, I was just re-listening to this conversation. This was recorded a couple months ago, and I'm reminded once again of just how incredibly intelligent and articulate and how valuable a lot of what she has to say is. Um, It's really a, a treat to talk to her, and it was great to have her back on the podcast. I think you'll appreciate this podcast. Hopefully you don't hear the airplane flying over my apartment. This is what you get when you live near the airport. Um, <laughs> I think you'll enjoy this this podcast if you have any interest in improving your sex life, if you're a woman and you want some information or perspectives on getting in touch with your body more and having better sex, if you're a guy, if you want to know more about how to please your woman, a topic that I think is probably interesting to most of the guys listening to this, or at least I hope it is. Really just an absolutely tremendous conversation with Blandine. This is part one of this particular conversation we had. I will be releasing part two sometime over the coming weeks. I haven't exactly decided when it's coming out, but be sure to subscribe to Humans in Love if you haven't already to be notified when that episode goes live. And also be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Without any further ado, here's my friend, Blandine Vagnow. I have a bunch of questions for you, and I was kind of waiting to see where things go. And, I, and I've been experimenting with something in uh, in interviews lately where I'm a little more just open to the conversation going in directions that I hadn't planned before. Mm-hmm. But uh, just to kind of get the ball rolling, I, I was thinking about this on, on my ride to pick you up today. It's a line I'm, I think about a lot by David Data. And he says... He says something like 99% of a woman's problems stem from feeling unloved. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Is that an overstatement? 
Yeah, maybe for the society that we live in right now, I think it's pretty precise. Like, um, let's say if you look around in society and you look at, you know, you just make a little market analysis, let's say, and you look at the products that are out there for women and that bring in the most money, you have like the diet, the dieting industry, stuff like that, like um, uh, whole branches of the market that are just designed for the woman to do all sorts of things so that she will be desirable, which sort of boils down to that she will hopefully find someone that will love her. So definitely this is a, this is a huge point, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. What about in, in terms of relationships? Like if your woman is mad at you or you're having a fight or something, do you think that that rule generally applies to those situations as well from a man's standpoint when a man's trying to make sense of that. Yeah, I mean, one of the uh, practical methods actually that David Data gives out in, I think his book, uh, The Way of the Superior Man, is when your woman freaks out basically, just love her through it, just shower her with love. And uh, surprisingly, it does work um, fairly well. I mean, from the feedback that I got from my guy friends, they had very good experiences with just um, with just doing that, just sitting down and just, just loving her, just giving her basically what it is, is giving her presence. It doesn't necessarily mean to agree with everything that she says there. She might actually just make a huge scandal for basically nothing, just to get attention, just to have uh, your presence, your focus back with her. So, yeah, definitely in relationships this is an applicable point as well nevertheless I would say Tantra it wouldn't just sort of end with saying uh, okay guys just love your woman more and all relationship problems will be solved obviously from the from the viewpoint of the woman it has to start by giving yourself love so that you are covered and that you can come from a from a place of feeling already centered, feeling already present to yourself, polarizing yourself already, feeling good just in the place that you are. And then it will be much easier also to bear all sorts of difficulties uh, or maybe absences of your, of your beloved. Hmm. On a somewhat related note, have you like looked into the underground pickup artist community you know like roughly what some of the ideas are yeah definitely my brother he's been big on it for a while yeah <laughs> okay. it, it gave him a big uh, confidence boost for oh sure. really okay interesting <laughs> yeah well, another idea i wanted to ask you about because like a lot of these ideas have kind of filtered down into the mainstream mm. um and the idea have you heard of the idea of shit tests no okay so this idea it basically comes my understanding of it is basically that a woman is often trying to test her man or test the man she's interested in or whatever to kind of get a sense of how, you know, quote unquote masculinity is, how much he can hold presence, yeah. um, you know, not trying to phase him and stuff. I mean, but the question that I always have uh, is because on the one hand, yes, okay, a woman tests her man to see what he's made of and all the rest. But like, where's the line between testing to see what he's made of and behavior that should not be tolerated, like genuinely bad behavior do you know what I mean mm. like how do you think a guy can kind of suss out the difference between when she's just testing me because that's the job of the feminine and when is she quote-unquote out of line or when is it coming from not a loving good place and it's more just kind of you know bad behavior mm. so actually what I love about this example um, that you're giving is that it illustrates very well the difference somehow between maybe what we could call neo-tantra and then traditional tantra. So from a neo-tantric viewpoint, you would want to look at, into this situation, which every one of us has experienced. If you are in any kind of relationship, you have experienced that your partner is testing you, and um, or even your friend might sometimes be testing you, depending on their level of uh, attachment to you and so forth. And then you needing to think about, all right, where do I draw a line here? What is just unacceptable? And what is something that I want to embrace and just uh, be present to and love her through it or whatever it is? Mm. And Neo-Tantra would try to find solutions for that and say, all right, you see, it's a, it's a simple thing. You get, you get um, this shit test, you call it. I don't even like to say that word. <laughs> You can just call it a test. <laughs> yeah. So when you have this, this testing um, moment going on, then maybe uh, and from a neo-tantric viewpoint, um, you would um, 
you know, go about and uh, feel it out, understand maybe your own boundaries, understand um, what do you want to, you know, what can you tolerate in your life, what can you be okay with, uh, what is maybe surpassing some limits, where do you want to draw a line. And it's uh, it's a very, very helpful set of tools to um, somehow practically start working on your relationship. So therefore, I really um, recommend reading books of David Data and getting a better understanding of these very simple um, tools that you can be using, um, while already having an eye on what's the principle behind this. For example, in David Data's case, you wouldn't just sit there and put up the uh, bullshit baram- uh, barometer and say, okay, no, sorry, darling, you are at five now, I will stop loving you through this. Yeah? But he says, no, just love her through it. And even if she's you know, saying stuff that you don't agree with or you know, doing all sorts of stuff, um, f- find the line where you sort of cut her off content-wise, but keep loving her through it, which is already um, like a good way of practically stepping into the situation and understanding that you can actually draw a line and also love through it. Very beautiful. If then you move into traditional tantra, the whole viewpoint upon the situation would sort of reverse itself, or not necessarily reverse, but it would move completely towards the viewpoint of principle. Namely, like one of the big principles in Tantra is within a relationship, both lovers will be the happiest if they make their partner the happiest. This is very often misread and misunderstood as um, you should just be a doormat. That's not at all the idea, but the idea here is to... um, to make your beloved ecstatic, to uh, allow them to awaken their soul, to nurture the deepest parts of their being. And in that way, somehow by focusing on this essential part of the other and being very active in giving love, not giving dormatishness, but giving the depth of your soul to the other and discovering the depth of their soul, the ego sort of automatically moves out of the picture. The, the BS just moves out of the picture. It doesn't, you don't even have to focus on it and understand, okay, where's the line here? You just don't focus on that. It's like, yeah, you know, sure, stuff happens, BS happens in a relationship, but that's not what we're looking at. We are completely diving into the depth of the soul of the other one, completely into the love, completely into the deep fulfillment and ecstasy of the other one's soul. And like that, you sort of, um, you don't even have to deal with all that stuff. You just take the shortcut right into, into the heart. How easy is it, though, to take that shortcut? Well, depending on your willingness to do that, obviously, it can be more or less easy. Of course, on the way, as you're shortcutting to the heart, um, parts of your being will resist. The ego will obviously go into rebellion and will say stuff like, um, excuse me, this is not how I wanted to live life. This is not what I signed up for. It's very typically when I go into couple counseling, this very often what I hear, it's not so much about um, I don't love the other. Very often, couples that come, uh, you know, already coming from a place where they feel they need help from the outside, which many couples, they wait way too long before they ask for a little bit of outside help. When they sit in that spot, very often it's not so much the question, do we love each other? The question is, how do we deal with the BS? right? It's, um, I didn't sign up for this. I, she gets so much on my nerves. He is so awful. It's all of that stuff. And obviously that will rise in the process. But the question is, um, usually for those couples, hey, um, how about you focus back on the fact that you love each other? And then actually all the BS, it will find its place. You have to deal with it. It's not easy peasy. You never have to think about it again. But it will come from a very, very different perspective if we have the, the, the main focus on, okay, this is love, and I'm talking about real love. I'm not talking about codependency and so forth, and it definitely um, is required to get a good sense of of what that means, of what love is, what, where am I, what things am I maybe confusing with love, where am I maybe saying, oh, uh, I have a ton of jealousy, it must be love. You know, these are things that, and in the process, you need to look into and uh, get a deeper understanding of, 
what is really the depth of the soul that connects the two of you. You can sip your tea. I saw you going for it there. It's fine. <laughs> it's perfectly acceptable. Um, another thing I was thinking about when I was on my way to pick you up, you work with, with a broad spectrum of women, and you have for several years now, like, you know, wide age range, um, people from all over the world. I mean, I've attended, I don't know, maybe half a dozen of your retreats or something, and there's always a lot of different people around, you know, people coming from every walk of life, pretty much. And <clears throat> I've seen the effect you have on, on women and just getting them to open up. And I think they, they feel very safe, like you're a safe person to open up to. And, and, and so I would imagine you, you spend a lot of your time talking to women about their problems and relationships and hearing about all this stuff. Are there any, like... And I'm thinking particularly now at this moment in history in 2019, are there any issues or common complaints or, or things that the women you're speaking to bring up to you over and over and over again? Like what are the main things they're wanting from their men that they're not getting? Um, are there any common themes that you find women keep bringing up to you, you know, year, year after year? Yeah, definitely there's um, uh, a lot of repeating points. Um, well, if David Deda can boil it down to 99% of the problem is about a woman not feeling loved, you can imagine that we, we are not as complex as we sometimes think we are and not as individualized as we sometimes think we are. Um, I think one of the first common complaints is, basically, if I speak to a, a group of women about relationships and I just let them ask questions, then the common accord is sort of, they are basically asking, why is he such a jerk? Yeah, that's basically what they are asking. Which somehow this very simple <laughs> question, why is he such a jerk, it holds within it already a lot of um, pointers, let's say, for what a woman can, can work on within a relationship. First thing that you can read from this is that the woman will tend to have, and when I say the woman here, please don't uh, take it as every woman ever, but a woman that identifies mostly with a feminine nature inside of her will possibly tend to go into this direction most of the time. Um, so uh, a woman will, will usually have her, her main attention onto what is he doing, and then by what is he doing, she will measure out how good is our relationship. And this is in itself already a bit of a problematic equation. Could you just unpack that a little bit? I think I know what you mean, but I'm mm -hmm. not exactly sure. Yeah, so um, let's say uh, you have, you, actually let me put it like that. Um, when I was 16 years old, uh, I found in a secondhand bookstore in Hamburg, I found a, uh, a sex book actually, like a, a practical guide or however you want to call that which I had already a bunch of them at home, but this one was really brilliant. It was written in such a funny way, and it was with a lot of funny illustrations, and it was just really well made with good advice. Very, very good book. Maybe we can, we can link it into the... I don't remember the title right, right now. Yeah, but I, I will give you the, the link to it. Brilliant, brilliant book. And um, <clears throat> it had one little drawing in it where the guy, he couldn't get it up. And then it was these thought bubbles above their heads. And he was sort of looking down into his pants and nothing was going on. And he was saying to himself, oh, why is it not happening? I'm not getting a hard on. This is a big problem. Maybe I'm a total loser. And she was sitting in front of him and looking also into the pants and thinking to herself, oh, why is he not getting it up? It's, uh, it's really weird that there's nothing happening. Is he maybe a total loser? Yeah, and that it sort of, even though that's not the thought process of every woman, absolutely not, but it made a point about how the woman is very much oriented to what is going on with him. Now, this is sort of a funny example, but just bring it back into the bedroom, for example, women will be all the time concerned. Do, do I look good in this light? Am I nice for him to look at? Does he still like me? Oh, no, I have a fold here in the belly area where it shouldn't be. Does he still find this attractive? Now he's making this noise. Does that mean he's coming? Is what's going on? It's very And I much know you and I have talked about before the number of women who have issues with their own vaginas slash vulvas is mm -hmm. just astonishing, right? It's just so common. So, yes. so strange to me. Most women have a big issue already with 
bad DS it is here. And um, yeah, and then when it comes to the genitals, not even um, to speak about, it's even, even much worse. So this over-focus on sort of um, trying to think about what is the other one experiencing, how are they looking at things, what are they doing, what's going on with them. This uh, brings the woman completely away from understanding where am I at, what do I have to learn here, what can I offer in this situation. Basically, this, this uh, ex exaggerated viewpoint upon being so, so interested what is going on on the other side, including all the mistakes that are going on on the other side, brings her completely away from her own power and from understanding that she is an amazing uh, representative of the eternal feminine power of this universe, that she is a goddess, that she, her body is wired for deep erotic experiences, for intense uh, cosmic orgasms, so I don't know what she might want to experience in her life. By this um, shift outward, she cannot access any of these things. And in this simple question of why is he such a jerk already, I can sort of go in and explain them this perspective problem that women generally have. And therefore, usually when talking to women, I address much more um, what they can do about themselves and about how they look at themselves, not how can they look nice for the rest of the world, but how can they change their perspective upon themselves in order to uh, make a change within their relationship as well. And when you talk about changing their perspective on themselves, is it as simple as looking at themselves with more love, like treating themselves as, as someone to be loved and cherished? Like, is it, is it as simple as that, or are you getting at something different there? When you speak about helping women see themselves differently. Yeah, so it all starts, I feel, with, um, uh, with yes, allowing for, let's say, uh, an inner framework or like having an, an attitude or a perspective that will allow for a woman to treat herself more lovingly, which then hopefully will make her realize that she um, can acquire so much more for herself in this life. She can have so many wonderful experiences and then that will hopefully make her curious to not just use that perspective change to, let's say, quick fix her relationship or something like that, but actually live a meaningful life, have a purpose, have um, uh, amazing discoveries within her own being. So it will sort of go step by step. But yes, it starts by having an attitude of, I would even say, you know, self-love is a big thing, but I would even just say start with self-acceptance. Just accept what is there. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. But you just accept what is there because that shifts the attention from this continuous outward focus towards the inside. And when a woman acquires that, when she can just sit with who she is, she already made a big change for herself. Yeah, I think that's a really great and important distinction there because I think when you speak about self-love to people, a lot of people's eyes start to roll and they, you know, it's they have negative perceptions of that for whatever reason, even though it's a extremely important thing to do, to love yourself. But when you speak about self-acceptance, it's more, I, th I feel like that's more palatable to, to, to people in general, you know, rather if they can't go to self-love right away, let's start with self-acceptance. Yeah, yeah, and actually self-acceptance seems to be so easy maybe as a, you know, as a word, if you say, oh, all right, accept yourself. But to really deeply have an attitude of really embracing everything that is there, it's a totally different thing, something you can actually practice your whole life. And I would not just uh, recommend this to women, I would recommend that to everyone, to just learn to be present what, uh, to what is inside of yourself right now, and then just learn to embrace that. doesn't mean you have to sit on that doesn't mean you resign and you give up any hope for change. It actually means the opposite. It means that you sort of put the finger on the map and you mark, all right, that's where I'm at. Deep breath. Okay, this is where I'm sitting. This is the crossroad I'm sitting at. Or this is the totally lost little dirt road where I'm sitting at at the moment. Okay, fine. Now, what do we want to do from here? And this brings somehow an a, uh, let's say, an, a hopeful and open inner attitude towards change and transformation. Sexually, what are there common complaints that women are making about the men in their lives, even just like practical complaints? You know, the, this, the cliche is that guys don't last long enough. Um, do you hear that a lot? And what are some other sexual complaints that women seem to have about, about men that, that you encounter? 
Yeah, so I mean, definitely, statistically speaking, you could even uh, look at this general problem of men not lasting too long. I, I don't have the exact number in mind. Maybe we can make a little research and, and add it in the comments. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's short. It's, it's a like matter a few of minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah, it's not a mat matter of tens of minutes. <laughs> it's a matter of minutes. So it's really short. And um, obviously, uh, as Tantra puts it, it's as if... Uh, one of the lovers, in this case the men, comes to the bedroom or is in the bedroom on Monday and leaves on Monday while she's only arriving into the bedroom on Thursday. So she will take a much, much longer time to actually just be ready to engage, to be together, to really have an ecstatic experience, which in a matter of minutes is not thinkable at all. So definitely this is a common problem. It's not necessarily a problem that women complain about within the groups that I'm leading, um, as usually those women, they have already been interested in sexuality. They have already been reading some books and, you know, been to some seminars, and usually the guys that they surround themselves with, or even maybe they come with their beloved uh, to the same course, um, they're already making progress. For them, it wouldn't be any more acceptable to, you know, to have a, a five-minute situation going on. They would want to um, already explore uh, deeper into things. But actually, a most common complaint that I hear uh, of women, especially once I explain to them the perspective of looking upon themselves, is that they become aware how little they know of themselves. Even women nowadays that, uh, that uh, are already much more educated than when I started teaching 10 years ago and they know where their clitoris is and they know where the G-spot is and they know all these things, they still um, uh, get a lot out of making this shift towards looking at themselves and, and, and getting, let's say, an even deeper understanding of themselves where it's not just about pure anatomy but also just feeling how does erotic energy flow inside of them, making the difference between the sexual drive which in Tantra is considered this um, the drive that is so, sort of going down and outward, which sort of makes you waste your sexual potential, um, versus the erotic flow of energy inside that allows you to have deep, wonderful experiences, energy rising inside of you, your spirit rising with, with the sexual or with the creative energy, let's say, with the erotic experience. And this is something that women then discover that they have a lot more they can learn within themselves. And then usually it's more like the question mark, Will my guide join me on this journey? So for women that I work with, this is usually the question mark. And very often for them, maybe this is an interesting point for guys as well, very often it comes to the point where they need to sort of decide, do I want to be in this relationship or do I want to grow? And this is something that women face quite often. Um, I've experienced in my work that um, usually when a guy is entering into explorations of this sort, going into tantra, um, exploring eroticism rather than uh, raw sexuality, a woman is usually on board, like they're beloveds will usually happily join into this journey. Not all of them, but uh, quite many will because actually they are getting what they've always been searching for long, beautiful, erotic experiences, which is something that, sure, every woman wants to have a cosmic orgasm, right? They will not say, no, thank you very much, please stop studying this magical thing that you are doing there. But on the other hand, when a woman enters into exploring herself erotically and going forward, very often the male pride is a bit in the way, and it's a bit like, no, excuse me, I know what I'm doing here, now don't get me with all this stuff, and there's more of a resistance towards um, the subject in general, and then especially, you know, if your woman comes home and tells you you are not a good lover, basically between the lines, that's usually something that for men doesn't sit very well. And if um, men would be, uh, you know, would want to become better lovers, to, to start looking into these things and just being open to the, the guidance of the woman, not so much that she's telling you what to do, but just go with her inspirations, because she is somehow wired to really find the pearls of the erotic life for you, so then be willing to follow her and then have yourself surprised what kind of amazing inner states you can actually have within the erotic game. Hmm. I want to come back to something you said because I can, I can assure you that, that some people's eyes are rolling. When you speak about cosmic orgasms, 
what on earth is a cosmic orgasm? I, I know what it is, but maybe you could speak about that just a little bit because it, it's a great turn of phrase and I know it would probably be a little baffling to some people. Yeah, maybe we can also dial it down a little and just start with moving from, let's say... Um, uh, Earthly orgasms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> moving from, let's say, the just, um, you know, average four minutes and then we ejaculate and it was basically a split of a second of an orgasm. You, can't, you can barely call it an orgasm. There was not even time to say, oh, in that orgasm, right? Not even to say the whole word in it. Um, let's move from that just towards having prolonged orgasm. That would already be an amazing step. And in Tantra, this is done by um, learning how to uh, prevent to lose your sexual energy, learning to have what we call inner orgasms. And um, once you start playing with that and having orgasms that are, let's say, um, disconnected from ejaculation, where the ejaculation is just a mechanism that happens. It's just, um, okay, overstimulation happening within the pelvic area, and then that uh, nerve plexus within the pelvis just gives the order, please shoot out all the, all the leftovers so we can, uh, we can proceed here because overstimulation is happening. The kettle is boiling over, let's shoot some out. And then that is done. And if you can just take that mechanism out of the equation, then orgasm can actually prolong. Because the kettle doesn't have to boil over like that. As you know, if you boil yourself some pasta and you put the lid on top, it will continuously have foam coming out of it and your whole stove is messed up. But if you just put it on a lower flame and you take the lid off, you can boil your pasta nicely. If nothing is coming out, it's all good. And you have a good meal in the end. And you don't need to clean up. So it's the same. It's a very good uh, <laughs> analogy here. It's very appropriate. It's <laughs> There's layers have. to this. <laughs> yes, many layers. <laughs> so yeah, in the same way it's here, you, you don't have to have the pot boil over. People just think you have to have the pot boil over because it's connected to the pleasure of the meal. But it's not, it's not the same thing. It's just a purely... Um, physiological mechanism that happens when the energy cannot spread out in the body when, or let's put it more um, biologically, when not your entire nervous system is engaged into the process. So when you have um, this sort of fight or flight sympathetic nervous system on, you're sort of stressed and you get your relief within the within uh, like a more raw and short sexual game, then of course you will ejaculate after seconds. But just um, imagine uh, the difference in your lovemaking experience when, let's say, you're taking a hot bath, you are enjoying to just uh, caress each other for two hours, your parasympathetic nervous system is now so engaged, you're so relaxed, you will maybe not even be able to ejaculate even if you want to. Men do experience this quite a lot when they just let go and they just relax and they have a long, 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 cozy and relaxing and erotic but not sexual time with their beloved. It is even quite natural not to ejaculate for them. And when then on top of that you learn to um, sort of find that sweet spot where the arousal is high enough to then produce a beautiful orgasm, but it doesn't somehow go overboard so that your kettle boils over, then you will have what is called inner orgasms. And those inner orgasms, they are typically already much longer as um, an ejaculatory orgasm simply because you keep the energy inside. It's a very simple thing. So whatever you're experiencing will be prolonged and intensified. And then that prolonged orgasm it can be prolonged even more. So you could take what the tantrics call the stairways to heaven, where you're going into one orgasm, and then you enjoy that a little bit, and then from there, arousal grows even more, and then another orgasm, and then arousal grows even more, and you're going up and up and up and up. And eventually, once you accumulated a whole lot of erotic energy inside and had already maybe several erotic experiences, you might enter into, for example, an erotic trance, where you're basically just... <clears throat> plateauing into a sort of orgasmic experience. It's maybe not as uh, intensely shooting through your body as other types of orgasms, but it's like just a soft, continuous rising of this um, yeah, inner, or let's say of this erotic energy just expressing itself inside in a rising motion continuously. And from 
going up that stairways on and on and on, you might come to what is eventually a cosmic orgasm or what we would basically call um, a, a moment of orgasm that changes your consciousness in such a way that you experience yourself as everything and everything inside of you, which would already be considered scratching onto a state of enlightenment, basically, at least for the moment. So it's a little bit different than stroke, stroke, squirt. <laughs> <laughs> just a little, just a little just, yeah. Just a tad. <laughs> That's great. That's a it's a very uh, thorough explanation. I I think I've I've asked both you and Oriel about this before, but I wasn't sure. I'd like to know more about it. So often when you guys speak about tantric lovemaking and um, tantric foreplay and and this whole dance, um, you you speak about it in terms of like slowing down and like gentle caresses and not going over the edge and like, you know, which can be absolutely fantastic. Um, really, really beautiful. And, you know, but some people like a little more force, a little more oomph, a little more bend her over and, you know, pound her or, or a lot of women like that or hold me down or even choke me or, you know, like more rougher variations of sex. Is it simply that the the motivation has to still be coming from love when you're doing those things? Is it, is it as simple as that? Like, where is the place for, quote-unquote, slightly more rough sex in Tantra? Yeah, so this is quite a del delicate subject because basically there is no real satisfying answer. Um, because what most people want to hear is like, sure, we'll make a little, we'll make an exception. We make a little booth over here where you can have your... I don't know whatever kink you're having or whatever your whatever thing that turns you on is, but um, again here, you have to think of this entire thing as a paradigm shift within the sexual experience. So it's is a way different experience in itself, a completely different viewpoint upon how you're having your erotic experiences. Tantra makes this distinction between the sexual energy and the erotic energy exactly for that reason, to sort of understand what bandwagon are you on right now. Or uh, my teacher likes to put it so beautifully in this image of, of two escalators, one of them leading down, which is the sexual energy, which will inevitably lead to any type of negative thing that you've experienced around sexuality. May that be that you sometimes feel empty after sex. Maybe you feel that as much as it also sort of connects you with your partner, it also sort of puts you apart. All these little things that couples do experience where they feel sex is somehow a double-edged sword. You know, on one hand, it can do so many great things for us. And on the other hand, there's disagreement within it, there's egoism within it, there's this whole, uh, and am I getting some, you know, is the other getting some, all the games of desire, of power, um, of uh, insecurities that come out within the sexual game. And usually it's a mixed bag, it's not like, oh, you know, everybody's on the escalator going down all the time. It's not like that. Usually it's a mixed thing. So then there's the escalator going up, which is the erotic energy, which is all the stuff you've ever experienced within your erotic life that uplifts you, that makes you feel more loved, more connected, more united, all the beautiful things. And basically in Tantra, the idea is not anymore uh, neither to only be on the escalator going down, nor to mix them up. Because basically mixing them up means you're on the escalator going down, but you're trying to run up, which sort of results into the zero point, you know, at best. If you're going down and then you manage to run all the way up that escalator again, meaning you're having, let's say, um, you're having a, a beautiful love for your beloved, but then all your physical and energetic expressions, they are still sort of stimulating that downflow of energy they sort of remind you of that continuously, of the more instinctual part um, of your creative potential, then you're doing that. You're going down the escalator, but you're trying to run up. Now, I'm not saying that that is wrong. It's a choice. You can do that if you want. But um, within traditional Tantra, that's not an option because traditional Tantra is a path where you're using the beautiful erotic energy that you have in order to uplift, in order to have... Uh, expansion of consciousness in order to go all the way to enlightenment, even if that is something that you fancy. That's the whole point of it. So that would mean that um, your entire 
attitude within lovemaking is not at all anymore about, uh, well, am I getting off? That's anyways not a point anymore because you want to have inner orgasms. So that's a different thing. But even those, you will not chase them. You'll experience them by relaxing into them, by giving yourself to the experience with your beloved. Your interest will be in giving happiness and ecstasy to the other. Your um, interest will be into merging, into unifying. It will not at all be anymore about, is this turning me on? Is this, um, you know, is this uh, fulfilling some fantasies or desires that I have in my mind? It's just not about that anymore. That doesn't mean that you will not be fulfilled. This is the interesting thing. But you will be fulfilled on a much different level. Somehow these uh, fantasies and, um, you know, like um, ideas that we have uh, of what will sort of turn us on and, you know, make us hot and make us feel good and so forth, we will see that they shift quite a lot within this perspective change. And I know that is not a very satisfying answer, and I know that there's always a lot of backfire when we say stuff like this, um, because obviously for people that, let's say, they are just learning to experience themselves within the erotic realm, and they are just learning that they can be turned on, and they, you know, they, can, have, uh, they can express what they like. Sure, you, you can do that, that's wonderful. It's just... Tantra talks about another thing. It doesn't talk about um, sort of uh, making you have good sex. It's talking about making you have cosmic experiences. And therefore, these points, they are not so much point of discussion anymore. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And you're right. That won't be a satisfying answer for a lot of people. But, but I think I know where you're coming from. And, you know, I'm not trying to speak for you or the school or anything else, but for me, I just think a lot of it is where these the impetus coming from. Is it to awaken her even more, to make her feel more love, to make her open more to the divine, whatever? Um, you know what I mean? Because I think a lot of guys get off on it. It's coming from more of the ego place. And, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of women crave it for the same thing of like, you know, it's a, it's a tricky thing to talk about, right? And there's no real sort of one-size-fits-all answer. And, and, you know, there's a lot of... that's I guess that's a big reason why I'm... You know, and I've talked to you about this before privately. Um, why it must be a very delicate thing what you and Uriel are doing at the school and, you know, talking so openly about sex and, and offering a lot of this advice because it can be a minefield, right? Like, do you think about that? Like, are you you guys must be very conscious of that and the particular climate we're living in in 2019 with, you know, outrage culture and all this stuff and people so eager to misread things and misinterpret things and misrepresent ideas. Um, is it stressful, your job, like doing this kind of work? <laughs> no, it's not stressful, but it is a minefield. I will agree to that. It's um, uh, depending on the place where you teach and the people that you're teaching, you might come out quite scarred mm. <laughs> from a session. But um, well, let's be honest. There's a lot of creepy people doing work around with, attaching the word yeah, tantra to their names, right? Totally. Like, let's just call it out. Like, yeah. And that's unfortunate because these people color the experience of so many other people, and the people associate people like you and Oriel with these people. And like, there's there's a lot of creeps in this space. It's just straight up. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's like a, a lot of the question marks are understandable. And as much as I feel there's a ton of misunderstandings on this, I mean, on, on everything, but on the subject in, in general. There's a lot of misunderstanding around it. And as a society, we are just sort of trying with tiny little baby steps to free ourselves from certain aspects. And then while we are freeing ourselves, we get so confused about the process that we are getting trapped into another definition, into another thing, into another stuff, into other rigid rules, into the whole politically correct thing and so on. It's, you know, we as a people are just, you know, in a in a not very easy process. It's like we are going through puberty altogether or something like that. And, um, you know, if you're looking around the planet on where we are at sexually, if you look at the average sexual experience, if you look at the crimes that are happening in that uh, area, if you look at the... Um, you know, the economy in that sector, if you look at the porn industry, if you look at all of that stuff, and you get a view on the general 
sexual level on this planet, it is very, very low. It's very low. And if you're trying to even just clean up a little bit within it, for example, as a society in the past 50 years, we've been trying to open a little bit more to understand that not all the rules from 100 years ago might be appropriate to have now to understand, yeah, sexism is a thing. And, you know, all these, all these things, just understanding where we are at as a society, that's already a super painful process. So I don't really blame people for being so confused. The media isn't helping. The whole, you know, how can we make money out of people being so confused is not helping. So I understand where people are coming from and I understand why there are more question marks around sexuality in, in an era where actually, you know, we, we sort of should be, in, uh, in uh, quotation marks, we should be uh, more free, but it just seems to get more confusing the more f also free in quotation marks we get. <clears throat> so um, I can understand why people might be very reactive to, to the subject as it is, but the thing is, what my experience is, no matter how um, confused people might be coming, how, no matter how guarded, no matter how traumatized they come uh, to a session, to a talk, um, what we try to guide them to do is to just feel it inside. Everybody has a natural feel of what, uh, what is wrong with sexuality and what is wonderful about eroticism. Everybody gets an inner feeling of that. And sure, in the process of feeling that, a lot of stuff will come out, but then it is the person dealing with it as a person. We don't try to come and put a dogma onto people and say, look, this is Tantra. If you don't live up to it, leave the room, please. But it's more like, hey guys, you know what? Tantra is not like... It's not like a thing that is written in a book. It's just trying to describe things that are natural, trying to describe how we can get back to our natural self. That's all it's trying to do. And we can do that very easily, just sit and feel. Just look at the difference between watching a hardcore porn clip where the guy is, I don't know what, nearly raping the girl, um, or a very beautiful artistic clip of a wonderful lovemaking, which can be quite explicit, but it is done with a transfigured and beautiful viewpoint. Everybody can see the difference between these two. Everybody can feel inside that it is triggering a different energy inside of them. And then it is becoming more about a discussion that you have with yourself. You know, what do I want within my lovemaking? How do I want to meet my beloved? You know, how do I want to see myself? How do I want to feel myself? What kind of experiences would I like to have? Would I like to be ecstatic? Or would I like to be, you know, all the other things that I've experienced so far? And I'd be curious to hear what you think about this, but I, I keep thinking of um, the fact that... I, I was thinking about this. So in the 60s, there's this great explosion of sexual liberation and, you know, the women's movement. Um, and it seems like a lot... I, it seems to me like a, a relatively small number of people were, were having a lot of sex, you know, a lot of free love and stuff. But it wasn't as widespread as we sometimes think. There were plenty of young people in the West in the 60s living, say, 1950s lives. Do you know what I mean? I feel like the hippies kind of colored our perception of that generation, but it was still, you know, it wasn't as widespread as we think it is, the, the whole free love thing. <clears throat> Whereas now, and this is just my idea, but now with Tinder and all these dating apps and just the, the general culture and sex in the city and, and, and all of these, this cultural pressure telling people that you know, sleep with whoever you want. There's no consequences. Um, you know, have as much sex and sexual partners as you want, have one night stands and all the rest. And I feel, I feel like so many members of my generation in particular, so many of us are coming through that at the end of that, almost feeling like we, you've, you, we've been binging on fast food or something. Do you know what I mean? We took the things, the shiny things that, and, and we satisfied our ego and we had everything that we wanted when we were younger and then there's this gnawing sense of emptiness. It's like, is this really all sex is? Like, is this, is this it? Um, I talk to a lot of people, you know, men and women, who seem to be having this feeling and realizing that if, you're, if, you're, if sex is something that's really important to you and your goal in your life is to have, quote-unquote, great sex and have a really fulfilled, um, you know, sexual life, you know, the best way to do that can be with one person. 
you're not necessarily maximizing your odds of success if you're changing partners every two months or every weekend or every year or whatever, you know? So I think for, for my money, and you might have a different perception, but so much of what you and Uriel teach and so many of the ideas that I've been, you know, reading about since I was 18 in this kind of general, uh, around this general topic of tantric sexuality, yogic sexuality, whatever you want to call it, is it's so incredibly valuable for people who want to stay with someone long-term. You know, this this common trope about, and it's almost just people just accept it. Like, oh, after about a year, a year and a half, you know, sex just falls off a cliff and, you know, that passion is gone. And, well, that's not real love. You know, there's no way to sustain that and blah, blah, blah. Whereas if, I, I, and I believe you guys, like if, if, you've, if you really fall in love with someone, you know, if you go through that process with them once, chances are very good that you can return to that over and over and over again at different points in your relationship, right? It's not this this feeling of, falling once, you know, having a year or so of amazing sex, and then naturally the hormones, you know, the the levels all balance and you're down to, you know, the daily tedium of watching Netflix all day. It doesn't have to be like that, you know, it really, really doesn't. And so and this is a, maybe a bold statement, but people ask me, well, what, what do you do? Like how, you know, what are some things you can try, whatever? And like, it's, it's, it's dangerous advice. But I often say, well, have more sex and less orgasms. At least for a little while, you know, just in these, and these are people who no experience of Tantra, no experience of any of this stuff. The idea of having sex and not having an orgasm is like just that idea alone. They can barely wrap their heads around. But I said, just, just, just try with that, you know, just experiment for a while. Um, so I guess it, it, this is a very long winded, uh, question. It's not really a question at this point, but couples in general who are curious about dipping their toes in this water. I mean, what would you suggest? Going to some yogic sexuality workshop or having lots of sex and fewer orgasms or, or what? Because just to, I'm going to keep rambling here for a minute. Even that advice, like I've been, I've been doing this kind of work, shall we say, in terms of, you know, playing with sexual continence and stuff since I was like about 18. So I think I've, I've got some experience with it. Whereas if you tell someone who's been stroke, stroke, squirting their whole life to do that, it's going to be a real challenge, right? Um, so I guess my question is, yeah, like if someone's listening to this and wants a deeper, you know, more fulfilling sexual relationship with their partner and wants to be able to sustain that passion long term, what would you tell them just as kind of a starting point? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I want to just um, just piggyback on some of the things that uh, that you said. Um, I think actually this advice that you give um, with more sex, I would, of course, call it more lovemaking. Of course, yes, more lovemaking. <laughs> more lovemaking, less orgasms. Um, it's, it's a very beautiful, uh, essentialized way of basically saying, um, take out the goal in it, right? Take, take out the rush, take out the, the finish line. And um, that, that is definitely a very good advice. The tantric days sort of um, compare lovemaking to a walk in the park, so you you know you you make all the all the fuss to set up a date with your beloved and you you pick her up and you you go to the park and what whatever you do and then as you enter into the gate you run through okay there's a flower there's a flower there's a flower and out you know and that it just doesn't make it. <laughs> there's a flower there's a flower yeah <laughs> that doesn't just, sound like much fun at all no that's just not what a walk in the park is about right you want to enjoy it and you get an ice cream cone. Yeah, maybe have a coconut, yeah. you know, maybe sit for me. Maybe you get one of these little bamboo mat, mats that we have here in Thailand and you sit a bit under a palm tree for, for a minute. And then maybe you, you watch the, you know, the, the birds eating their little bird food. And then maybe you see some, some things floating about on the lake. And you enjoy, you walk, you, you smell, you, uh, you feel, you touch, you see the sunlight. You engage all of your senses. Exactly. You make it a real experience because nothing can become an experience if you're not fully engaging your senses. If you're just rushing through it, you can barely call it an experience. It's just something that just passed in a split second. It's just a flash. It's not a real experience. So definitely, I'm totally on board with this um, with this advice that you give to remove the finish line and just make it an experience. What the tantric suggests in general is just slow down. Just slow down. You know, take more time. Uh, to have your lovemaking. Take some hours off for it. Don't just, you know, have quickies whenever it fits in and, okay, the kids are in bed, let's just, you know, have 10 minutes of whatever uh, you might be having. But really set aside time for it. And, um, you know, as you, like, start consciously, that's always a, a tantric thing, you know, sit down, 
even take a little moment of interiorizing, become aware, hey, you know what, we are making love now. Don't just let it be something that happens in the semi-dark when nobody said yes to it really, you know? Which is one of the big problems why society is in such an uproar about all the different crimes and horrible things that are happening because everything around sexuality remains in the dark or in the semi-dark. And that starts with, even in a marriage, not being aware when you're actually doing the deed. I love that uh, Uriel put it once. He said, you know, the job of the tantric is to keep the lights on always. And that's, a, you mean that even, even literally too, right? Like don't make love in the dark. Yeah. Like you should actually see your beloved. Absolutely. Like the tantrics literally have the literal lights on and also the inner lights on, which is even much more important. And um, so start with that, be aware. Okay, now we're making, making love. I remember... Um, uh, in, in my teenage days when I was finding out about how condoms work and stuff, there was always this, this thing about, oh, it's such a, such a pain to use condoms because you have to interrupt and then put the condom on. And then I contemplated for myself, why is it such a big deal to interrupt? What's the, you know, why is it a problem? I can interrupt for a moment to, to eat my meal, you know, go get myself a glass of water and then sit down and enjoy my meal as much as I did before. Why in sexuality is it a problem? And I noticed it's because people become aware of what they are doing and they don't really want that. It, it like brings up the shame, brings up the guilt, brings up the question marks about themselves, brings up the question marks around their own desires, around the desires of their beloved. Do I look good in this light? Do, does the other, do I really want to be with this person? All these questions that we should actually ask ourselves um, they rise in these moments of just switching the lights on. And this is something that I would invite, no matter if you are in a couple or if you are in a one-night stand, switch on the lights, really do things aware. This would also mean take out the drugs, take out the alcohol, take out any kind of alteration of your sense perception and of your consciousness. Just don't mix it with, with eroticism. Be sober when you make love. Enjoy, get drunk on love, not on alcohol, right? So these are just little things that you can do. Then once you're sober, you're making a decision to make love. You sit down, you become aware, the two of us, okay, now we're entering into something beautiful here and so forth. Then slow down, take out the finish line, definitely. And then a very good point can be allow the woman to lead the lovemaking game. Not so much as in becoming passive, not so much as in she should tell you what to do, but as a man, tune into the way that she experiences eroticism. Even identify with her, feel her. How, how is it to feel like her? And you will see that that will guide you how to touch her, how to be with her. You can even um, make little games like allowing her to, to touch you first and to show you, not to show you how to touch her, but to show you the attitude of eroticism which is embedded in her being. And Tantra, we say a woman is hardwired to be erotic and a man is hardwired to be sexual. So in order to make this shift, it can be very, very wonderful to allow the woman to bring, let's say, the, the energy, the atmosphere to it, the feel to the lovemaking game. And then as a guy, you tune into that, you feel that. Then uh, allow yourself to enjoy the details, like you enjoy the flower, enjoy how her hair is falling over her shoulder as you are there with her. Don't just like porn movie style, focus in on the genitals. I know some guys, they can only have a good time if they just look down seeing what they normally see in a porn movie. It's, you're missing 90% of the action. It's beautiful what is happening there. Let it spread out. Breathe together. Feel each other. Love each other. Look into each other's eyes. Make it an expression of love. And here you can even, you know, if, if this rubs you the wrong way, that, uh, oh, what now, I have to... Um, only be in 20-year relationships with people that I make love with, not necessarily, but love, really love them. Be there with them, fully love them completely and allow for this merging to take place, which is quite a scary thing in the beginning, but that's what will really, really fulfill the deep needs that you have in your heart that makes you want to have sex in the first place. So you will go out of that experience deeply fulfilled. That's really beautifully put. It's about 400 degrees in here, so shall we take a bit of a break? <laughs> sure.
Wünsche. Okay. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Humans in Love. If you'd like to learn more about my guests, my work, or you'd like to listen to back episodes of the podcast, please visit humansinlove.com. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Humans in Love using your podcast app of choice. If you're a fan of Humans in Love and you'd like to help keep the show going and help me spread the word, please take 30 seconds out of your day to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Before I let you go, Remember that life is short, so let's make it count. And thank you, as always, for your listenership and support. I'll talk to you again very soon.